0: In part 11 today, I want to talk to you about this. Pursue restoration for your notes. Pursue restoration. As we go through test trials and tribulation, no matter how many weeks I preach on it, there are going to be times in life where we fail. There's going to be times where the enemy gets his foothold into our life. There's going to be a few battles we're going to lose. When this happens, the devil wants very bad for you to take that failure or that shame, or that 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 battle that you lost, and He wants you to take the, what happened yesterday into tomorrow, so that you aren't believing God for great things. So you're not serving with your whole heart. If the devil wants you to think, "Man, I failed, so I gotta wait a few weeks until I really worship God in church. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make sure He knows I feel bad about it." Or the enemy gets a foothold in your life and he wins a battle or two and you think, oh, I can't believe I didn't have the faith to withstand that and and, and and I didn't pray like I should. And he wants to ruin tomorrow. But let me tell you how amazing God is. I mean, God is so stinking awesome that even when we disobey, even when we mess up, even when the devil wins a battle or two in our life, God wants to take that negative situation and actually bring us to a place where we are better off than we were before that happened. If we will learn how to repent quickly. And I know some of y'all, you battle... The the, the size of your mistake depends on how long you feel guilty, right? If you cut somebody off in traffic, you feel bad for maybe five seconds. You know, if you cuss at somebody, that's like five hours. And if you really do something wrong, you know, you don't talk to God for five days. Or you wait a few Sundays until you really feel like we're... Listen, we don't worship God because we're perfect. We worship God because He's perfect. But God wants to take those negative situations and get us to a place where we're better off than we were before. You know how uh, right now society is taking words and changing the meaning of them? For instance, the Bible says marriage is so and so, but Webster's dictionary now has a different definition of marriage, okay? In the same way, uh, Webster's dictionary for the word restoration says this to bring back to the original condition. In other words, take it to the place where it's at before it got messed up. If you're restoring a 1968 Ford Mustang that was left out in the elements, if you restore it by Webster's definition, you bring it to where it was before it was upset by the elements, before it got in that wreck, before that negative situation. That's the world's definition of restoration. God's definition of restoration in the Bible is this, to make better, to increase, to improve, to promote. To mock you mean that I can do something stupid. It's all my fault. I totally disobey. And after I repent, God can actually take what the enemy meant for evil and actually turn it around for my good so that I'm better off than I was. And we always think, oh, I can't believe I did that. Listen, not only does God want to erase it, but he actually want to make you better off because of the mistake. Zechariah 9.12 says, O prisoners of hope. I will restore not just where you were at, that's reconciliation. God's restoration is I'll give you double what you lost and repay you twice for what you have suffered. God wants to bring you out with twice as much wisdom than you had before that. Twice as much grace for other people before you made that mistake. Twice as much joy, twice as much faith, twice as much hope. He wants to bring you out better off. So I have three points for you today on restoration. And each point is a part of a sentence. By the time we get to all three points, you have a complete sentence. You understand? Say, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't believe you, but I'll take that anyway. Okay, so number one is this. Believe that God can. Um, I feel like it's easy to read these words, but it's hard to really take it on the inside. Because when you go through a tragedy, uh, the enemy will lie to us and say, man, it's going to be like this for a long time. I don't know if God can do anything with this mess. It was way too bad of a mess. Isaiah 61, 7 says, for your shame. Have you ever felt shame in your life? For your grief. Have you ever been grieved? Have you ever felt like you were mistreated at a job, in a relationship, in a marriage, maybe even as a child? For that happening to you, you shall have a twofold recompense. Uh, This means if your business didn't do well in 2020, instead of believing that in 2021 it's going to do like it's supposed to do, believe God's going to make your business twice as good in 2021. If you got some bad health and you were in the hospital, don't believe you're going to come out like you were before the sickness. Believe you're going to come out twice as strong, twice as healthy. I have seen this in my own life. I'm not just trying to preach a good sermon. I've seen this in my children's lives. I'm telling you, I am all for reconciliation in a marriage, but if a marriage did not work out. Believe that God's going to bring you somebody that loves Jesus twice as much as the old fart you were married to. Believe that he's going to be twice as fun, twice as joyful, twice as handsome, twice as rich as your faith. If you want to believe for it, you believe for it twice as good as it was before. In Job chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Job was a good man, totally devoted to God. He was incredibly rich and very well respected. Listen real close. Money does not solve all your problems. It's good to be blessed financially, but I just want you to understand in your mind, you can be very influential, very rich, and the devil can still come in. Not only that, but you can be very much devoted to God and still have problems In your life, so don't be shocked when you come to church and join the church and you're worshiping, and you're giving and the devil attacks. Don't be shocked, but that shouldn't get you down because God's a God of restoration. So in one day, the enemy comes in and steals everything Job has because the enemy comes to steal. good and destroy. So he came and he destroyed Job's family and animals and business and his health. It was so bad. Job's wife said in Job 2 verse nine, honey, just curse God and die. That was a lovely woman, I bet, to have a, a dinner date with and, you know, just go. can I take you out? Yeah, just curse God and die. I bet he was thinking, I wish the devil would have taken you, as along with all this other stuff. Job actually did that in chapter 3. He cursed God. He cursed himself. Listen how bad it was. He cursed his own mama for giving birth to him. He should have cursed his dad too because I'm sure he had a partner playing that as well. Job complained and complained. Okay, here's the point I want you to see. A negative attitude disqualifies you for God's restoration. Understand that a negative attitude Attitude. I don't think we realize how much of the Bible has to do with attitude. Attitudes of faith. Uh, let me say it like this. Um, if you were to call me and say, Pastor, I got a problem. I need your help. I could guess what the problem is in five guesses. It's either uh, your body, your head hurts, back hurts, leg hurts, you know, face hurts, whatever, something hurts, it's physical problems. Uh, relationally, my wife's not doing what I want her to do. My boss doesn't treat me right. My kids aren't doing this, whatever. Uh, Financially, I need more money. I mean, I can guess in in five guesses. Or for some of y'all, my football team's losing. You know, the Steelers aren't doing well. Whatever it is, I don't know. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Cowboys, whatever you're into. Okay, so I know what your problem is. But here's the thing. Those problems may not change today. But there's one thing that can change today. Your attitude. I might not be able to fix these problems you got today. God may never fix some of those problems. But there's one thing that God will always help you fix right now, and that's your attitude. Your attitude can show God where your faith, where your hope is. See, remember the first scripture talking about be prisoners of hope. Your hope can't be in people paying you back. Your ex-spouse can't pay you back for what they did. Your boss can't pay you back for what they did. Your friends might not. A lot of people think, "Well, I'll feel better once they're hurting." I'll feel better once they suffer a little bit. Like, if they would just write me a letter of apology, everything would be fine. That may never happen. You don't put your hope in people. You put your hope in God. you got to get on God's pay plan. If you're on people's pay plan, you'll never be satisfied. Try saying that fast three times. If you're on people's pay plan, never say that. Okay, so Joe finally got the right attitude. and It took him 40 chapters of his life. Hope it doesn't take you all 40 chapters of your life. In verse 6, he said, Lord, you're all powerful. and watch this. I repent. In other words, I recognize that I was not serving you wholehearted. I recognize that there was something in between us that needed to be dealt with. And in this case, it was my mouth. So I repent for it. In verse 12, the Lord restored Job, made him twice as rich as he was before. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. How would you like for from today forward? For your life to be more blessed than it was from today back. How many of you would like that? Now, listen, here's the thing. You've already been incredibly blessed. Incredibly blessed. Y'all are some of the most blessed people in the world. And yet it can be even better. It can be even twice as good. But why doesn't God do that for me? What's your attitude like? Where's your hope? Where's your heart? Um, There's a true story about this young man who had a desire to play professional baseball. I mean, his whole life, since he was a kid, he always had a baseball in his hand. And in junior high and in high school, he was at the top of his league. I mean, everyone knew he was such a great third baseman, just so, so good. And he was going to make it into major leagues. And then all of a sudden, one day he had a farming accident and he lost two of his fingers in the accident. And it happened to be on the hand that he throws the baseball with. Now most people, when they go through some type of a tragedy, especially in the area of a dream, when that happens, a lot of people just give up, throw in the towel. This guy thought, I guess I'm gonna learn how to throw a ball with just three fingers on a hand. So he's on third base one day, and he's throwing it to first base. The third base coach sees this ball move, and it sees all kind of movement on it. He says, whoa, whoa, how'd you do that? And the guy in third base, that's just what happens when you throw a ball with three fingers like I do. The third base coach thought, you know, If I put him on the pitcher's mound, nobody would be able to hit a ball with movement like that. Mordecai Brown went from being a good third baseman to one of the greatest Major League Baseball pitchers in all of history, because God knows how to take a trial and turn it into a triumph, a test into a testimony, a tribulation into victory. God can take what you thought was a liability and he can turn it into an asset. But you got to be willing to get off your buns and go forward in life. Stop focusing on the tragedy. Stop focusing on the hurt and pain. So uh, Proverbs 24:10. if you faint in the day of adversity, your faith is small. The reason I beg you to come to church every Sunday, the reason I want you to take notes, the reason I want you to read your Bible, the reason you quote scripture, the reason I think all of us should be in Sunday school, if the word's being taught, be there because adversity will come your way you can be living at market common be retired and playing golf every day and adversity will come your way I assure you whether you serve God or not adversity come coming your way but here's what I want to prepare you for I want to prepare you for the day when it comes so you don't turn around and run when the enemy attacks you because your faith is strong because you were hearing the word you were faithful you were serving that's what we're preparing for adversity is going to come our way. And you can tell what your faith is on how you handle it. In 1 first Kings 1425, uh, Egypt attacked King Rehoboam. This was Solomon's son, and, and he stole the enemy, stole a lot of things. But I wanted you to specifically see that he stole all the treasures in the temple, including the gold if I say gold shields gold that shield. his father Solomon had made. So they stole the gold shields. Now, listen, just like Job in one day the enemy took everything from rehoboam and just like Job, god was ready and waiting to restore to rehoboam what the enemy stole but rehoboam thought oh man this battle was too tough and i'm too depressed and i don't have enough energy in me and so rehoboam allowed the enemy to just get away with it he didn't fight he didn't turn around and think, I'm going, to, I'm going to accomplish my dream. I'm going to get I'm going to get victory. He just let the enemy go. In fact, it got so bad in verse 27. Rehoboam had bronze shields made to replace the gold ones. Let me say this, uh, Rehoboam settled for less than God's best. How many people go from this marriage is horrible to dating this person that's just as horrible. How many people go from this job, minimum wage, they're not treating me right, to another job, minimum wage, not treating me right? How many people go from something that and they know it's not the best and the enemy attacks and steals it and they think, eh, it's not the gold ones, but it's good enough. And at least I have a shield in my life. Here, God did not want to bring him back gold ones. God wanted to bring him back twice as many gold ones. But unfortunately, like unlike Job, Rehoboam did not have a restoration Attitude. Listen, adversity is not what stops us. It's how we respond to it. If adversity stopped people from fulfilling their destiny, then nobody in this room would fulfill their destiny because everybody in here faces adversity. That's not what stops us. It's how we handle it when the enemy attacks, it's what we do next. And don't ever, ever, ever call yourself a survivor. Don't ever say I survived this marriage or I survived working at this place for 20 years or I survived this sickness and disease. We're not survivors. Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors. In other words, you're not just a conqueror. That'd be great in itself. A conqueror is someone who never lets the enemy get away. A conqueror always fights, 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 fights until they win. But we're not just conquerors. We're more. When you're more than a conqueror, you don't just take back what was stolen. You take it back with interest. You get more than what you had before because you are more than a you see, Some of y'all need to say it. Say, I am more, I am more than, a than a conqueror. Did you feel it? I need to make sure you felt it. I am more, I am more than a, conqueror. Than a conqueror. conqueror. That's right, devil. You can. Okay, so point number two is this. God can even restore time. Now, we know that God can restore relationships and health and he can restore finances and he can restore mindsets. We know that God can do great things in that area. But can God actually take the times that we wasted with the wrong people in the wrong places, battling the wrong things and giving into addictions? Can God actually control time? I mean, literal time. Joel 2.25 says, I will pay you back for the Years. That, that that That's a time word. Years that have been stolen and make up for every single loss. I believe, I believe that God can take the time that we wasted and spent in the wrong places and make it up to us time wise, time wise. So um, there's a true story about this guy. and I think I've told you before, but he ran a little gas station in a small little town. And he would cook chicken and people would come and eat his chicken. The chicken got so popular, he opened up a restaurant across the street from the gas station. And business was going well until they put a freeway in. And so now everybody was bypassing his gas station and his little restaurant. So in just a matter of a few months, he lost everything he had ever worked for his entire life. All money gone, all profit gone, everything down the drain, everything closed down. Unlike Rehoboam... This guy thought, I am not going to die from this battle. I am going to have victory in my life. And so he put a chicken fryer in the back of his truck. And he went around from town to town just driving to see who would buy his chicken with 11 herbs and spices. Anybody would buy it, he'd sell it to them. When Colonel Sanders was 66 years old, the age that some of y'all tried to retire... Colonel Sanders refired, and he opened up his first KFC at 66. Do you know in one year, his first year of Kentucky Fried Chicken made up for 45 years of loss. He made more money that first year than 45 years before, and today there's over 23,000 KFCs in the world. I know y'all know where the nearest KFC is around here. He didn't give up. So second Kings, let me say, so, so Hezekiah was on his deathbed. Hezekiah was a, a he had shingles, something like shingles. And so he asked for the prophet Isaiah to come in and give him a word from the Lord, because in the Old Testament, you couldn't hear from God unless you had a prophet. And so he said, hey, Isaiah, come tell me what God says. You know, I want to be encouraged. I feel like I'm dying. And in second Kings 20, verse one, God said, Hezekiah, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. That was not quite the prophecy he was hoping to get that day. He did not record that on his phone and listen to it over and over again. And so Isaiah turns around and just starts walking out the palace. The prophet's like, well, I told you what God said. Now I'm leaving. And so Hezekiah quickly prays. In verse 3, he says, Remember, God, how I served you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. He's just saying, God, remember the times I went to church. When I didn't feel like it. the times I went to church when I even had people visiting from out of town. God, remember the times that I served you when nobody thanked me. Remember the times I gave in the offering when I wanted to use the money to buy a new fishing pole, but I didn't. I gave it to you. Remember these things, God, that I did for you. Just like that, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, says, turn around and go back to Hezekiah. In verse five, he said, tell him, I've heard your prayer and watch this. I'll heal you. And that's reconciliation. I'll deliver you from your enemies. Again, that's like before the trouble. But here's the restoration. I will add 15 years to your life. How would you like to be on your deathbed? And God say this, I'm not just going to add 15 years. There are going to be some darn good years. You're going to get to live at Market Common. You're going to get to play golf. You're going to have that skinny preacher as a pastor. This is going to be a blessed life for you. He'll be the one to preach your funeral. That's a blessing right there. Fifteen good years. And so Hezekiah said, God, I, I, I can't believe you're going to do this. I, I, I mean, this is so amazing. Can you give me a sign? I mean, you know, Noah had the ark. Moses had the Red Sea. Can you show me something to prove to me you're going to keep your word? And God said, well, Hezekiah, what do you want me to do? Hezekiah said, well, since we're talking about time here in verse 10, it's normal for the sun to go forward, but have it go backwards 10 degrees. God, I believe you love me so much that you will interrupt the solar system Just to show me that you're going to add time to my life. Isn't that not amazing? In verse 11, Hezekiah watched as time went counterclockwise for five hours. If God will do that for little Hezekiah, what will he do for you? Listen, if you're a parent like I am, I'm sure you have regrets when you look in the past. I wish I'd spent more time with my kids here. I wish I was there for them there. I mean, I have five kids and so my My time was always, you know, it's just, it's difficult to have five kids. And at first, when I first started having my kids, um, we were the best of friends. I mean, me and Zach and Logan, we'd go everywhere together. If I put on a suit, Zach would have a suit on. If, If I had my Bible, he'd have his Bible. If I went to the gas station, he'd go with me. We were the best of friends. Then Eli was born, and when Eli was three years old, I started pastoring. And it was Horrible! I was stressed out every second. I was always anxious. I did not get to spend the time I wanted to with my kids. I didn't know how to say no to people. When I first started, anybody, people that didn't serve, that didn't get people that were not productive, I would still say yes to them. Can you preach here? Sure. Can you play here? Sure. Do this wedding. Do this funeral. I need to come by your house. I need to borrow this. Can I see you today? I got to talk to you today. Yes to everybody and no to my family. And I cannot even tell you the guilt that I still battle today. I remember when I was 15 or 16, uh, I was going to get my driver's license. My dad was helping people in church and too busy to do that with me. And I'll never forget, I thought, man, when I'm a parent, I would never do that to my kid, especially if I have a son one day. I want the I want to be one to help my son get his driver's license. That's a father-son thing to do. I'll never forget the day when I found out that Zach. Got his driver's license without me. I was too busy doing something for somebody that's not even in my life. My own son, I put aside. But listen, I believe that God can restore that time. I believe that even now, you know, 20 years ago, I dedicated Zach to the Lord. Just a few days ago, I baptized him. Is that not some kind of restoration that God's doing? The times I missed with Eli, and Eli's wanting to go into ministry and serve God. We work out together every week. We go on trips together. I believe that God can take one year with you and your child and make up for 20 years that were lost before because God can restore time. Amen. Point number three is this. God wants to make the devil pay. Don't think that you have to pay. Don't think you have to suffer because of it. When you repent, When you go to God and say, God, I recognize, I recognize it's my fault. I need you now to change me. I need you to pay me back and I need you to make the devil take care of it." It says in Exodus 22, 1, and this is the word of God. A thief, which is what the enemy is, must pay back five times what he stole. Proverbs 6, 30, a thief must restore sevenfold. God's definition of restoration is never one to one. It is never It is never. I'm going to bring you out like you were. It's always I'm going to bring you out better and make the devil pay. Um, There's this this story, this little old grandma. uh, She didn't have much, very poor, but every day she would walk out on her front porch when the sun would rise. And she would just say, thank you, Jesus, for always taking care of me. Thank you for always providing for me. Every so often, this neighbor that was an atheist next door would start to heckle her. She'd say, there's no such thing as God. You're wasting your time. He doesn't hear you. That would never stop this little old grandma every day. Thank you, Jesus. You're such a good God. You're always providing for me. One day, the atheist thought she would play a trick on the little old grandma. So the atheist went out and bought some groceries, some toiletries, a bunch of stuff, put it on her front porch and went and hid. That morning, the sun rises. The little grandma gets up. She looks at says, God, I can't believe it. You did it. You provided for me. About that time, the atheist jumps out and says, Ah, I told you. I got you. God's not real. God didn't do that for you. I did that. God had nothing to do with it. Man, that grandma was so excited. She started shaking and jumping up and down. Jesus, not only did you provide for me, but you made the devil pay for it as well. (laughs) That took a lot of energy. So in Exodus chapter 2, Moses' mother had Moses, and he was a little baby. And about that time, the government, Pharaoh, issued a decree that all uh, male Israelite babies, all the slave babies, should be killed. Moses' mom could have thought, I can't believe, I, of all the years I picked to have a child, now my baby's going to have to suffer. I can't believe this can happen. But Moses' mom was a prisoner of hope. She didn't hope in the government to take care of her. She didn't hope in her friends to take care of her. She hoped that God would take care of her baby. So she took little Moses, wrapped him up and put him in a floating basket and just trusted her child to God by placing him even in one of the most dangerous places in the world in the Nile River. You know how hard it is for a parent to trust their child completely and totally to God. About that time, as Moses was drifting on by, Pharaoh's daughter, the man who's trying to kill the babies, his daughter was taking a bath out in the river and she hears this baby crying. So she runs over to him. And as soon as she sees him, she falls in love. She says, oh, I'm going to raise this baby. This will be my child. The problem was, though, is she couldn't nurse the baby because she wasn't the one that had them. And there were hundreds of thousands of women out there whose babies had been killed. Newborn babies who were able to nurse. So she told her servants, I need you to go out there among the two million Israelites and just pick a woman. Any woman whose baby died, bring her in here to nurse my child. Do you know who they found? They found Moses' mother. In Exodus 2, Pharaoh's daughter said, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you to do it. Not only did Moses' mom get to raise her child, but the enemy paid her to do it. They paid for Moses' education. They paid for his training. Little did they know the enemy was paying this man's ability to one day fight against them and tear down everything they had. That's amazing. Out of all the women there, listen. Anything great in life requires trusting God. Anything great in life, I'm begging you, get your trust out of the hearts of people. Stop trusting. Bible says, don't trust in horses and chariots, and don't trust in the stock market, and don't trust in your boss, and don't. People make mistakes; they do wrong. That's how just life is. But God will never do you wrong. Never, ever, ever. Exodus, last story. In Exodus um, 6, 5 through 8. After the Israelites had been abused and beaten and taken advantage of, God said, I have heard the cry of my children, seen the suffering of my people. I'll punish your enemies, save you, and give you everything that I promised. But here's the problem in verse 9 they were too discouraged to believe. I think we've all been at places in life where we are so distraught, we're so hurt, we're so torn. We feel like we've been just just basically beaten emotionally that we're too discouraged to believe. I'll tell you a story of, of, of restoration um, and then I'll close. But in 2006, I started my first church in the library in Socasty, you know, had a handful of people. We went to a storefront, then went to another storefront. And I never wanted to ever borrow money from a bait with the church. So what we did was we saved up money. To be able to buy a piece of property that we're going to then save up again to build on. So we saved up, I think it was $150,000. We bought this acre and a half of land out in the country. I mean, it was down one dirt road, another dirt road. But at least we wouldn't be renting. It would be ours. So we paid it off. And when we bought it, it was zoned mobile home use. And you had to get it rezoned for religious purposes. And so I went and got it rezoned. And that was great. And we spent two years and we paid it down. Now we're ready to build. It's all paid off. But they said, oh, you got to get it rezoned again because you didn't build when you got it rezoned. So you got to go back because it went back to mobile home use. So I went back to Conway, Monday night courthouse, and uh, they called my name. Yeah, Pastor Miller, da, 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 rezoned. I said, okay. And they said, does anybody here object? And I thought, how would anybody object? I look around and there's 50 people that stood up in this whole courtroom. And they said, we object. We don't want a church down there. We want to keep it country. You know, we don't want anything to be there. We don't want the traffic. We don't want the lights. We don't want nothing. And one by one, they all come up behind the microphone, all being led by one particular family that lived right next door to it. All of them saying we don't want a church. I'm crying like a 13 year old girl in the middle of all these people. And we are denied the rezoning of our property. Now, I have to go back to a congregation and tell them what a failure I am. It's all my fault. I was young and didn't know what I was doing. All the money we wasted and now it's completely gone. So that was on Monday night. The day before that Sunday morning, I had preached on how we should sing praise to God and how that breaks chains and causes prison doors to open even when we don't feel like it. So I am singing and crying at the same time in my truck on the way home in the wrong key. I'm probably getting the words completely wrong. And two nights later, on a Wednesday night, my dad calls me. We haven't talked in five years. He owned this property here along with a bunch of other properties around here. He said, listen, John Paul, no, we haven't talked, but I need some money and I need an ASAP. I will sell you that old chapel in that field for $500,000. I'll finance it, no interest. But I need $50,000, 10% by Monday morning or I'm selling it to somebody else. We had no money, we spent all the money on that other property. So I'd go to church that Sunday morning and I say, Listen, here's the thing, we need fifty thousand dollars. That Sunday morning fifty four, fifty five thousand dollars came in the offering, which is thirty people in the room. So we go to Monday, I give my dad the money. He says, I'll finance the other four hundred and fifty thousand. We think that's great, but we can't move into this building because there's no roof, no electricity, no plumbing. It's been abandoned for years. It's no good. So I went to the family that was against us building the church out there on that property. And I said, listen, this is own mobile home. I would like to put thirty five mobile homes on that property unless you want to buy it from us. So they bought it from us for more than what we paid for. it. We renovated this building. And we spent two or three years paying it down. And my dad said, I really need this last hundred and fifty thousand right now. So we ended up going to the bank to borrow one hundred fifty thousand. We paid him off a few months later. All of a sudden there's dump trucks and tractors in the parking lot tearing up our parking lot. I said, well, well what are you all doing? This is the church problem. I said, no, as of the deed from nineteen fifty six, the church has no parking. This parking lot belongs to these other buildings, which we just purchased from your father. I said, y'all can't take it to the city. And I called the city. They said, we'll have to close your church down if there's no parking lot. I said, wait, y'all can't do this to us. So I called the guy that bought the property next door and I said, listen, can we meet for lunch? He said, why do you want to meet with me? I said, let's just meet. I just feel like we need to meet. So we go to lunch. We hit it off. We have such a good time. At the end of lunch, he says, how about, he has a real southern draw? how about I give you some money? To just let me have the parking lot, which is already mine. And we skip all the court costs and skip the lawyer. And in my mind, I know he's going to win anyway because it it legally says that we don't have a parking lot. So in my head, I'm thinking maybe he'll give us twenty-five, dollars maybe $30,000. He said, how about $150,000? I said, I need to go talk to the guy that's in charge. So I go out in my truck and I talk to Jesus for a little bit. And then Jesus says... Jesus says, ask for more money. So I go back inside. I said, how about $180,000? He says, man, what kind of preacher are you? Said, okay, I'll give you $180,000, but I need to have this finished by the end of the year because I'm selling that property to some developers. So we go back, try to do the paperwork. It's not coming together as quick as we want to. He calls me up. You got two days. I said, I don't know if we make it. I said, you know what? If you throw in another $5,000, I think we'll make it in time. He wrote us a check for $185,000. He offered me a job to work for him, which I didn't take. But $180,000, we got to pay off this property, build our own parking lot to the side, and we are now on a piece of property worth $1.4 million, completely paid yeah. off. Yeah. And it started with a little room in a library. That is what God can do. And he made the, and that guy gave us $185,000. For property that he already owned I thought are you buying the air like what 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 are you doing like in my mind I'm thinking you already own it like you're giving us money for something that we don't even have the Israelites finally got their faith back God delivered them but that wasn't enough God's told the Israelites to ask the Egyptians for everything they own and God did something in the heart of their enemy in Exodus 12, 36, he made the Egyptians freely give them whatever they asked. Can you imagine being a slave? And as you're being delivered, you walk up to the person that's been abusing you, mistreating you, not doing things right. And you say, hey, give me all your jewelry right now. And they say, OK, give me your clothes. That, that outfit you got on right now. Give it to me. I want it. I want everything in your closet. Give me your socks. Can you imagine Pharaoh looking out the roof of his palace, seeing two million slaves leaving free? And carrying all of his gold, silver, and clothing with him. That's amazing. How you go in is not how you're going to come out. You may go in abused. You may go in mistreated. You will come out prosperous. You'll come out with more. And you'll come out better off. Because God can restore even time. And make the devil pay. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a peace.